Welcome back to Gospel Rant. I began a new series last time on Is Your Church a Guilt-Innocence Church or an Honor-Shame Church? And I think we're really on to something. I think this should generate lots of of dialogue. I think this may be one of the key missing issues, uh, ingredients to why millennials are not comfortable in our typical evangelical churches. And uh, maybe it's something we haven't looked at very closely. I'm not the first one to talk about it, uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, but I think we're taking it farther here at Gospel Rant than anyone else has. It's time to get the dialogue going. We can rant about this together. All right, so this is podcast number one. That was the introduction. A lot to cover, and I want to do it fairly quickly. This is a big deal. An estimated half, roughly half, of Christian millennials have already left our churches. It's a crisis. It's going to have deep future ramifications in leadership of our churches, financing of our churches, financing of missions and Bible colleges and seminaries, uh, reaching other millennials, reaching Gen Z, reaching the next uh, generation, Alpha. I think it's just a huge deal. Lots of reasons why millennials are leaving, the mill exit. In the media, we've heard parenting, social media abuse, addictions, economy, in particular, 2008 recession. I get it. All those things are factors, and I think shaping factors, and I have podcasts on each of those things. And by the way, uh, Generation Y, Millennials, these are, according to Pew, it's those who have been born 1981 to 1996, 23 to 38 years old now, roughly. But having said that, in this particular series, I'm going to suggest that there is a larger uh, cultural issue, very interesting. Missiologists divide the world into three different cultural categories, guilt, innocence, honor, shame, and fear, power. I got into definitions in a, a bit last podcast, so check that out. But here's what I'm suggesting. I'll say just track this. I'm suggesting that most of U.S. evangelicalism is guilt, innocence cultures, and not absolute But imagine a bell-shaped curve on a spectrum from 1 to 10, uh, 1 representing really, really guilt-innocent culture, and 10 meaning really honor-shame culture. And I'm going to suggest that there's a bell-shaped curve that represents the population spread of most evangelical churches, and imagine it in the 1 to 7 range with a median around 4, right? So leaning towards guilt-innocence. And that's to say that they're largely concerned with the things that a guilt-innocence culture would be concerned with. Right and wrong, good and evil, punishment, fairness, a reward for the righteous, punishment for the wicked. Right? When they would look at the atonement, what did Jesus accomplish? Well, primarily he lived to a perfectly sinless life, died in order to pay for my crimes, my sin, for justice purposes. And now, because of that, I'm clean. Justice smiles, asks no more. So you get uh, clean, clear definitions of substitutionary atonement. We have discussions on church disciplines and confessions of faith. What's what's the right thing to, to believe? It should all sound very familiar to us because this is the air we breathe. And by the way, except in an extreme, it's very biblical. God hates sin. I get that. And and you're in the family of the U.S. evangelicalism if you confess sin, repent, and accept Christ and choose to adhere to doing right as your denomination and church prescribe, your confession, your church polity. But it's biblical. Psalm 1, uh, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, right? Good stuff. And 
guilt, innocence evangelicalism has thrived for so many years here because the rest of U.S. culture is also guilt, innocence. It was a great marriage. And in a guilt, innocence culture, individuality is emphasized. Uh, your informed conscience should guide you in doing right. And so the preacher is, is informing your conscience through biblical exegesis. Your path to happiness is a function of you doing you. And if you break the law, you should suffer a punishment. Makes sense. Guilt's a big deal. How do you know if you're good or bad? If you keep the laws, you're good. And look, these cultures do their best to avoid guilt. So this was a good marriage between GI evangelicalism and GI culture. That is until millennials. See, here's the thing. Here's the point. For a number of reasons that we've already discussed, millennials are noticeably more shame-prone than previous generations. Not absolutely. It's a spectrum. It's a bell-shaped curve. Um, but they resonate so much more with honor-shame cultures than they do with guilt-innocence cultures. I mean, think Asia. Think Japan. Think Muslim cultures than with uh, guilt-innocence cultures. Now, to remind you, an honor-shame culture, in, in those cultures, family and community are everything and being accepted as part of the family and good standing is important. You're not an individual all alone. You're part of a larger whole, and you don't take that for granted. And much of your day-to-day effort is avoid being shamed or, or being an outsider of that family. Or, or you have fears of being outed, and the phrase that's used in China and Japan is you lose face. So we have honor-shame pockets here in the United States. I was talking to someone from a a heavy, culturized, honor-shame pocket in the Midwest. And this is what he said. Oh, I get it. You mean like here no one will mow their lawn on Sunday. And that's exactly right. And, and he got that, not because they think it's evil or wrong, but it would shame their family if they did. They would be considered outcast. The, the rest of the community would talk about them, right? And they didn't want that to happen. There's unspoken rules and behaviors that have been fine-honed over decades, and that has to be adhered to. And there's expectations. It's very heavy. If you're a guilt-innocence person and you walk into that community, you feel the shaming. And shame is that feeling that one gets when you fall short or or fear falling short. And that's, that's the whole point, right? Everybody kind of on board? The goal is to be an honored member of the community and to not rock the boat. Um, to be a member in good standing. Don't fall short of the community's expectation of you. That's painful. Now, I'm not saying that all of the above resonates with all the millennials. I'm just saying that there's been a shift, a noticeable shift in the culture. Uh, and I would say that the millennials are, are really trying hard, harder than uh, us before them, of falling short of expectations and increasing expectations that have been laid upon them by their parents and peers and the mirror, education, right? Uh, ever since grade school, you know, save the planet, end racism, world peace, save the whales, fix fix the world your parents have broken. Uh, uh, expectations laid upon them by peers, right? Social media's exaggerated uh, claims of the real lives of their friends, Here's how one put person put it, a, a mental health therapist. Quote, millennials were the first generation to grow up with a constant flow of information from Internet and social media, and they're being bombarded with details about the personal and professional lives of others. Millennials can't help but compare their situations and achievements with everyone else's, which can leave them, here it is, feeling insecure and unaccomplished. And as a result, millennials are feeling the pressure to always look and act like they have it all together. This can easily result in lower self-esteem, anxiety, or depression. There we are. 
Shame, honor. Honor, shame. So they're feeling shame and they want honor and they want it now. It's a big deal. Now, are we seeing evidence of emerging adults, uh, millennials and Gen Z's shame proneness, sense of insecurity, fear, falling short of expectations? Yeah. I mean, just listen to some of this, uh, this data, the research data. Millennials were born between, sorry, millennials were between the age of 5 and 20 when 9-11 happened. That makes sense. I mean, you can you can feel the disruption and and worry. Most of their lives, the U.S. has been in a war against terrorists. They lived through the 2008 recession. They were between the ages of 12 and 27. But you can see how shaping this was. Many couldn't get jobs. Some lost jobs. Uh, the joke was millennials were living in their parents' house, and it was up to around 30 percent. Per a Deloitte. Global Millennial Survey 2019, Millennials and Gen Zs are disillusioned. They are not particularly satisfied with their lives, their financial situations, their jobs, government and business leaders, even social media. Uh, 73% say that political leaders are failing to have a positive impact on the world. 66, two-thirds say the same thing for faith leaders. Um, 43% say that traditional media, the media outlets, uh, are having negative impact on the world. And, and there are also scars and from or fears of cyberbullying. 55% of teens, 13 to 17, see bullying as the number two problem they see among their peers. You know what the number one is? Anxiety and depression. That's number one. It's 70% say that's uh, the main problem. Per the Healthy Mind Studies, University of Michigan, uh, emerging adult college students, 18 to 28. So this is the millennials and Gen Zs between 2014 and 2018. Major depression has gone up 50%. Anxiety disorder, 55%. Eating disorders are up 11%. Suicide ideation is up 30%. Overall positive mental health uh, metric is down 26%. This is close to home for us here in Colorado. The biggest cause of death for young adults in Colorado today is suicide. Of the eight mass shootings in the United States in 2019, so far, I mean, we're only in August, six of them, six of the eight, were done by emerging adults. According to a recent Cigna study, Gen Y, Gen Z are are the two of the loneliest generations. For Gen Z, 68% feel that no one knows them well. Chronic loneliness. According to a 2011 study, we're seeing a decline in empathy. And look, no judgment. I'm just suggesting there's been a dramatic shift due to a lot of reasons between the millennials and and Gen Zs and the older generations. And so 43% of Christian millennials have left their churches. And they're saying the reasons they're giving is among them is this. 87% say Christians are judgmental. 70% say that churches are insensitive to others. Greater than 90% say that church is homophobic. Well, look, if, if you're coming from a honor-shame perspective and you walk into a guilt-innocence church and you hear about right and wrong and fair and justice, wouldn't it come across to you that, that those people are being insensitive, that those people are being judgmental. Yeah, I think so. I think this explains so much. So on that one to 10 guilt innocence to honor shame spectrum, if evangelicalism, GI bell-shaped church population spread, it goes from one to seven with a mean at four. Imagine millennials honor shame population bell-shaped curve going from four to ten with a mean at seven. So the mean at four and the mean at seven, you can see there's overlap 
but they're noticeably different cultures. One millennial lady told me the story about when she left her church. She went into worship, and the church was singing about the victorious Jesus. They were into it, holding hands up, really worshiping, but not her. Because what she was feeling, and she felt alone feeling this, was a deep sense that Jesus wasn't victorious in her life. Something was wrong with her. She didn't feel victorious. And so among the emotions, she no doubt felt sadness and loneliness, a sense of shame. What's wrong with me that I can't feel Jesus' victory this morning? And so she felt like the odd duck, the odd one out, and she left. She felt like she didn't belong in that community. She desperately needed community, but it was a community that would be like her, that got her, that resonated with her, that made her feel loved and adored as she was, and vice versa. So I'm going to suggest that millennials have prioritized something different than their Gen X and Boomer peers. They want a safe place where they can explore ways that the gospel can empower them to feel less shame. A sense of being more successful, respected and honored and loved as they are. And this is the cry of a honor-shame culture. I want to be part of a community that adores me, respects me, considers me a valued participant, as I am, not as I should be or could be. In, in a guilt-innocence culture, you're part of the community in good standing when you achieve the rules and the standards of the guilt-innocent community. So if that's the case, all I'm suggesting is here in the United States, at least, there's a cognitive and emotional dissonance between most evangelical churches who are rightly guilt-innocence culturally. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that's where they are, and theologically, reflecting the U.S. culture for the last couple of decades, and the Emerging adults, the Gen Ys and Gen Zers who are more honor-shame prone. If that's the case, then if we want to speak into the lives of increasingly shame-prone, perfectionistic emerging adults, we're just going to need to shift a little bit more towards an honor-shame perspective in our teaching, in our preaching, and witnessing, in our churches, right? And, and, and it can be done just to shift. I'm not talking about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but shifts. It, it's like treating the honor, shame-prone millennials and Gen Zs as an unreached people group to speak their language and scratch their itch. Look, we can become all things to all people. We can do this. All right, we'll pick it up here next time. And by the way, don't bail on me. This is good news. Uh, there is a way forward, and it's to correctly understand where we are and they are. There are simple, measured things that a guilt-innocent church can do to engage honor-shame folk without totally offending the rest of the congregation. Trust me. We'll see you next time on The Gospel Rants. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, You can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.